Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined in studio by Ellison Weist. Hello, Ellison. Hello, Sarah. How are you? I'm well. Good, okay. good. And what are you reading these days? Well, I right now I'm casting around for a new read because mm. I just finished a fabulous book, oh. um, which has been getting a lot of attention, Long Bright River oh. by Liz Moore. Uh-huh. And it's her third novel, the first one that I've read. Uh, definitely won't be the last. Fantastic. People that follow me on Instagram at BookBully have heard all this before, but it's a story of family addiction, uh, just how families uplift us and also disappoint us, but then it's wrapped into a mystery because the protagonist is a female uh, cop, Mm-hmm. And so she more does just amazing job of sort of keeping both of those story plots going and weaving them in together. And it's it's 480 pages hardback, but I was just like, can't put it down, can't put it down. Just fabulous. Well, book. in that case, then it's great that it's longer because yes. then there's more of it to yes, enjoy. That's exactly what I thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another one that I was sorry to see end. Did finally read The Testaments. Okay. Uh, recommend was a bit surprised because it's, I, I always And that's hesitate. the Margaret Atwood, the follow-up right, to. Right, The Handmaid's yeah, Tale. Yes. But it's a little bit more entertaining, if I can use that yeah. word. Uh, it's interesting to see the difference. I guess it's, you know, what, over 30 years since she wrote The Handmaid's Tale. Yes. And um, this one was a little bit... Uh, more plot you know Mm. pick it up pick it up um but i really enjoyed it in fact i may have enjoyed it more than the handmaid's tale wow that's saying quite a lot maybe i need to dive into it because i still have not cracked it well Um, here's your nudge yes (laughs) (laughs) what about you so um okay i'm not typically much for ya young adult novels but when i was at rancho la puerta uh, I read We Were Liars by E. Lockhart. Oh, I've heard of that. And so I, um, the plot definitely stuck with me. I had trouble falling asleep the night I finished it because my mind was just kind of churning it over and over. And it was a New York Times recommendation. I had come across a article, kind of, I don't know, six YA novels you, you must read or something like that. And so I got it out of the library for Daphne, my 14-year-old, but I was like, oh, well, New York Times raved about it. I'll read it. So, um, yeah, so it was um, it was interesting. Um, and speaking of the New York Times, there was um, that I there was a review or not a review, an article about um, Kate Chopin's The Awakening. Oh, wow. Which you yeah. and I, when we were in a book group together, we read that, which that... Um, the Awakening and such an enduring work of feminist literature. And that's what the New York Times article is about. And it just reminded me of what a great book that is. And I think I'm going to suggest it for my new book, my new, I've been in like oh, probably four years, my, my current book group uh, to read because it it's a fairly quick read. It but, is. I think it's less than 100 pages, isn't it? Or it is near very short. Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. like 135, something like that. So um, yes, so I was pleased to be reminded of that. Yeah, that's a great one for book clubs that are looking for a classic mm-hmm. novel and possibly one that 
isn't going to take as much time. I know that right. a lot of book clubs are like, can we keep it under a certain page limit? Mm-hmm, Perfect. Mm-hmm. And it, I feel it's um, not nearly as well known as a lot of other classic novels. I remember when you taught, I mean, I'm an English major, and you suggested it in that vein for our book group. And I was like, what? I've never heard of this. I never heard of Kate Chopin. Nothing. Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm not I'm not sure why that is. But I, I agree. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was interesting. And then speaking of book groups, at Rancho La Puerta, one of the guests who it was her second time joining us in Rancho La Puerta. And her name's Jeannie. And she's joining us here for our Portland retreat. And she suggested that you suggest a book you I think you see where this is going, perhaps you suggest a book so that people read it before they get here. And then you lead kind of a discussion about it. Oh, okay. In addition to so you're all right, we already have you on the hook for leading a group to Powell's. Right. And then this would be an additional thing. Okay. Because oftentimes for our retreats, people have said, oh, we all ought to read the same book and talk right. about it. But to have you, the book bully, lead oh. it, pressure's on. Okay, it is pressure's, pressure's on. on. <laughs> yeah, because one thing I was going to suggest for that retreat is that uh, guests are, I'd love it if they'd email me, you know, four to six, six weeks ahead of time and before the adding to pals city of books and say these are the type of books i'm interested in so that i can do a little reconnaissance beforehand oh Oh, you're like shoot i'm gonna have to go to powell's again oh gosh you know (laughs) but somebody's gotta do it and um you know then i can possibly have a couple of suggestions or at the very least be able to quickly point them to yes, the Yes, go area. to the rose floor. Right. The rose, rose room, room. The gold room. It's next to the violet room. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, they're going to be, their minds are going to be yeah, blown. Yeah. But yeah, okay. Oh, well, so I'll let you into the, we have private Facebook pages for all our retreats. So okay. that was an oversight on my part. I will let you into the Facebook page and then people Good. can talk to you about it there. Okay, okay. And yes. That, yeah, and that's then, a, And maybe the book, this is me just adding on Jeannie's idea, but maybe it's set in the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Good idea. Yep. Good idea. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, then that's going to give me a lot to, I yeah. hope I can concentrate on the rest of the <laughs> program here. Right, my mind, exactly. I may blurt out Mind on it. Mind something. on it. Come yeah. on. Focus, I may focus, blurt focus. out something. Yes, yeah. yes. All right. Well, so that's a perfect segue to the topic, which, um, for the, so for the past few years, every February, we've tried to do a heart centric episode to remind women it's heart month. So this year, we're talking to two mother runners, both named Sarah, with an H, um, who've had major heart surgery. We'll be joined in studio with them. It'll be crowded in here, um, one after another, though. So when uh, we come back from this quick break, stay with us. Our first guest is Sarah Foster, a marathon runner with two young kids who got a pacemaker last February for a cardiac arrhythmia. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. Good, good. So what are the ages of your kids? So I have two boys. Nolan is eight, and Mm -hmm. he's in third grade. And Bennett is six, and he is in first grade. And what's your running background? Like, can you kind of lead us up to last year? Yeah, so I would say um, in my mid-20s, I kind of got into running. Um, I would say it was like my quarter-life crisis where I had finished (laughs) grad school. I had gotten married, I got a job, and I did all those things that are kind of expected of you, and I wanted a new challenge, so I decided to run a half marathon, and I was hooked after that and decided to run a marathon at, so I was 27, I think, when I ran my first marathon, and um, 
then I set my sights on Boston. So I'm originally from the East Coast, and I lived in Boston for eight years before moving here. Okay. So I'd watched the marathon many times as a spectator um, with my beer in hand <laughs> and decided that I wanted to run it. So then I, you know, ran a couple other marathons and qualified and um, have just been kind of running marathons and half marathons um, with children breaks and stuff um, uh-huh. for the past several years now. Awesome. My kind of gal. Awesome. <laughs> well, so all local marathons? Um, mostly. I mean, I've traveled down, I've done the CIM, um, uh-huh. a couple of Boston's, uh-huh. um, Philadelphia. So yeah. Portland mm-hmm. once when we moved here. <laughs> Got to do it. Yeah. Well, and then kind of lead us up to the backstory um, that led up to your getting the pacemaker and can I don't know what a cardiac arrhythmia is I didn't until last Mm. year either (laughs) Um, so I would say it actually started about 10 years ago um, and I was noticing it on runs surprisingly so my symptoms were that I would just get these like dizzy spells lightheadedness Mm. kind of like when you stand up too fast right Um, and it would happen when I would be running or when I would have like a stomach virus. If I was throwing up, I would faint right oh, afterwards. Oh. Um, mm. I never fainted while running or anything, but I would just get these kind of dizzy spells. And I never really thought much of it. I thought mm. it was, oh, I'm dehydrated or, uh, you know, uh, haven't eaten enough or stood mm-hmm. up too fast, you know, all those kind mm-hmm. of things, mm-hmm. um, because it just didn't seem like that big of a deal. And then I noticed um, about, I guess, a year or so before I, this all kind of happened, so two years ago, um, I noticed they were getting worse. Oh. Um, and so I was having, they were a little more intense. I was having them more often during the day, mm-hmm. where at times I would kind of stop and have to hold the wall oh, um, just because I was feeling dizzy. But it always went away. And I think being a typical, you know, a mom, a woman, a runner, I was like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Nothing's sure, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so then it was October of a year and a half ago that I actually fainted Mm. from one of these episodes without any other kind of circumstances around it Mm -hmm. that I'd always qualified in my mind as being, you know, the cause. You weren't running, were you? No, I was home. Luckily, I was sitting on the bed and I kind of just fell backwards. And um, next thing I knew, I woke up and my husband and kids were kind of like, are you okay? Oh, boy. Um, So it was a good place to faint on your bed. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, So at that point, my husband was like, I think you need to go in and Mm -hmm. see your doctor and just get checked out and make sure there's nothing um, major wrong. Yes. So I reluctantly went and saw my primary care doctor and she she did some blood work and um, she said that, you know, she just wanted to kind of check out my heart and stuff. So she had me wear a um, a Holter monitor, which is like an external monitor for a week. And Mm -hmm. I had to carry this big clunky cell phone around with me. And whenever I felt a uh, symptom, I was supposed to push a button. And mm-hmm. then it was also monitoring and picking up symptoms if I wasn't necessarily okay. noticing them. And so I wore this for a week. And that was kind of my first indication that something is actually wrong. Mm. Um, so I got a few phone calls saying, oh, we picked up some symptoms. And I recorded symptoms and things. But again, I never, never really thought too much of it. Um, and then So kind of from there, we did some more testing and um, basically it came back that I, my heart was taking these pauses. Mm. So um, the actual, Mm. yeah, it's a cardiac arrhythmia and it's uh, my diagnosis is um, complete AV heart block, 
which basically means it's an electrical signaling issue Mm -hmm. between my atrium and my ventricle. Okay. So for me, like 99% of the time, my heart is doing what it's supposed to do properly. But every once in a while, I go into these funny blocks where the signal between the atrium and the ventricle gets stopped. Mm -hmm. And these pauses were like three to four seconds, and that was then correlated with my dizzy spells. Mm -hmm. Um, And... The only treatment for that that I then learned um, was a pacemaker. Mm -hmm. Um, So in February of last year, so I'm coming up on one year of Mm -hmm. having it, I had surgery to implant my pacemaker. Wow. Wow. So then how physically rigorous, demanding, challenging is getting a pacemaker put in? It's, uh, It's one of the most common surgeries and I say surgery lightly it's more of a procedure Mm -hmm. um I chose my um cardiologist is really great I chose to have it put under my pectoral muscle Mm -hmm. so it's a little less visible Mm -hmm. um just you know being a young woman wearing bathing suits and stuff I didn't really want this big Mm -hmm. lump on my chest Mm -hmm. um so that was a little bit harder um surgery and recovery just going under the muscle but um physically it I recovered really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't, it's, they don't have to open up your whole chest cavity. Nope. And that type I of have, stuff. I have a, an incision about an inch and a half on my chest. Now they put the pacemaker in a little pocket uh, that they make under the muscle and then feed the leads down in through veins into each of the ventricles. Oh, wow. And mm. so I have, um, yeah, these wires that run into my heart now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Give it little shocks when it needs it. Wow. Wow. So you and I originally connected last July when you were possibly going to do a broad demo mm-hmm. for us. And you wrote, it's been an interesting and rough few months, both physically and emotionally, but I'm still running and preparing for some big runs in the next few months. So talk to us about the emotional aspect of recovery. Yeah, I'd say for me, that was way harder than the physical Mm. side of things. Um, Physically, I was back to running, run walking um, a couple weeks after getting it. Um, Mm. I think I pushed myself because I just wanted to feel normal. Mm -hmm. Um, But the mental side of it, I think, really took me a lot longer. And I think I am still working Mm. through that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, we always think of kind of bad things that could happen to us. Um, You know, I could get breast cancer, I could get hit by a car, you know, all these things go through your mind, and they're most likely not going to happen. But for me, you know, just I never thought at the age of 38, that I would be needing a pacemaker. Um, So I think just kind of coming to grips with that and knowing that I didn't do anything that caused this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think when I would tell people that I was getting this or when I tell people that I have it now, they're like, but you're one of the healthiest people I yeah. know. You run mm-hmm. marathons, you you know, you do all these things. Like, how could this happen to you? And so, you know, I've been assured by doctors and all the Google searches I've done that I didn't do anything that caused this and I couldn't mm-hmm. have done anything to prevent this. It's Good. this weird electrical fluke mm-hmm. that just happens. Um So, you know, coming to grips with that, I think, was hard. I do have this scar that I see on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of that constant reminder that it's there. Um, So, yeah, it's it's just been harder to accept it. And I think at the beginning, especially, I kept saying, like, do I really need this? I'm not sick. And I my husband and I had this like come to Jesus moment with me that was like, 
unless you're going to go in and have them take it back out, it's there. Right. And it's doing its job and you haven't had any dizzy spells. So Mm. you need to just accept that this is like part of your life now. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. So it sounds like the emotional was a little bit more. Did you alter your training once you kind of got back to quote unquote normal, you know? I didn't. I would say... um, I mean, if anything, I'm safer training now. That mm. so you know, for me, this this heart condition, it's the condition itself isn't life threatening in any way. And I believe me, I know how lucky I am to you know, have a condition that was found and treatable and didn't cause oh, yeah. any problems. Um, but so for me, it was more if I went into heart block in a bad situation and fainted, whether it was driving my car with mm-hmm. my kids in it or out for a run. Mm-hmm. So kind of thinking about all those what ifs mm-hmm. um, was just really hard mentally to, to go through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was I'm intrigued. That, so you did the testing in October, mm-hmm. but then didn't have the pacemaker insert till February. Was that because you were kind of debating or was the doctor just like, oh, it's okay, we can wait till after the holidays or something like that? Yeah, I mean, the testing took, you know, a few months to like get in to see the doctor and go through all the testing Uh, and stuff like that. Um, I wasn't, you know, an emergency case. Yes, yes. So, um, you know, we kind of fit it in when we could. But um, yeah, I I flat out asked my doctor, do I absolutely need this? Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he's like, unless you want to spend the rest of your life passing out yes you mm-hmm. need this mm-hmm. um so yeah so and do you do now that um you have a pacemaker do you sort of feel like you're part of a club that you didn't realize existed yeah like particularly with other young people i mean because i think some people think oh pacemaker that's something my 76 year old grandfather has mm-hmm. you know so talk a little bit about that i've found other people the other young people other runners that have it and that's mm. you know really motivating not too many um it's it's funny when I do go to my cardiologist, <laughs> um, I have to get um, device checks every six months. So they go in and they kind of externally just put something on it. They can tell the battery life, how it's working. They do some tests mm-hmm. and then send me on my merry way. But it's funny to go in and sit there in the op- in the uh, waiting <laughs> yeah. room because I'm not their typical patient. <laughs> right. Looks like right. you're waiting to drive your grandpa home. Yeah, and then they do these checks, and the device nurse that I usually have is this sweet little older man, and he also has a pacemaker, and he's just really like, I feel like you know we're part of the club. But he says he's like, okay, well you've had a lot of tachycardia issues. Because it also monitors that, so that's too high of a heart rate. Oh. Um, so the pacemaker um, is at, is basically a gas pedal. It speeds your heart up, but it doesn't slow it down at all. So when my heart rate gotcha. drops, it speeds it up. Oh. So, but it also records when I go into high heart rate. Oh. And so he's like, "Let's go over this because you've got a lot." And he's like, "Okay." Um, on Tuesday the 15th at 8.30, I'm like, yep, running. At Wednesday uh, at 9.30, yep, running. <laughs> he's like, wow, you run a lot more than most of our patients. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. so. Stating the obvious there, nurse. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that part has just been kind of funny. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, what kind of advice then? I'm, I'm just thinking, what would you say to somebody that is going into a situation like this or something that's a life-threatening illness or surgery what's your especially a younger person um take the time to process it Mm -hmm. um I think you know as women and moms we are all about serving others and 
we don't often take the time to go through the things that we're going through. And I was really cautious or conscious at the beginning that I didn't want my kids to think I was sick. Um, mm. And so I think I pushed myself too hard. I tried to make it sound like it was no big of a deal, where in my mind it really was. And so talking to people, talking about it more um, has mm. made me feel more comfortable um, with it. Um, wearing shirts that do show off my scar mm-hmm. has made me kind of more comfortable with it too. Mm-hmm. And um, I think not using it as an excuse mm. um, to hold back or change my lifestyle. So, mm-hmm. Sarah, you said that, you know, when we first talked, I said I had some big things coming mm-hmm. up. Um, mm-hmm. So it was actually about a month or so before I was diagnosed um, I, a friend of mine texted me saying, a runner friend of mine saying, hey, do you want to run across the Grand Canyon twice in two days? <laughs> and I said, sure, why not? <laughs> um, and so then it was a few months after that that I got this diagnosis. And I think, you know, nobody would have judged me if I had used, you know, if I right, backed out yeah. or said, you know, I'm just not up for this. Um, and instead, I decided that I'm going to do this to prove to myself that I, you know, I can still do hard things. Wow. I can do yeah. even harder things than I've ever sure. done before. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in October of this past year, um, so eight months after getting the pacemaker, wow. I did a rim to rim to rim run wow. through the Grand Canyon in two days. And it was such an amazing experience. Good for wow. You. wow. So rim to rim to rim. So you have to talk about that a little bit because Dimity you know, went rim to rim, she hiked it with two friends. So, so where'd you, which side did you start on? Like, like run us through it. Yeah. So we started, it was actually a group of, we we had almost 25 women, um, some of which were running rim to rim to rim, some of which were hiking rim to rim to rim, some of which were only doing part of it. But um, it was this really fun group of women that all kind of got together to do this. So we started on the South Rim and we went down the South Kaibab Trail mm-hmm. and then um, back up North Kaibab. Mm-hmm. And then I hitchhiked for the first time in my life to get a <laughs> ride back to um, the one and a half miles. Because I was like, I just ran 21 miles through the Grand Canyon. I don't want to walk anymore to get to the lodge. <laughs> um, had a few hours sleep and a meal and then got up bright and early the next morning and went back down North Kaibab and up uh, Bright Angel. So it was about 45 miles in two days. It was a run hike. So not all, I mean, Mm -hmm. the hike out of the canyon on the North Rim is about a thousand feet per mile Mm -hmm. elevation climb at Mm -hmm. altitude. So that was not a run, but Mm -hmm. um, it was the first time I'd been to the Grand Canyon. And so to (laughs) see it like that, um, after what I had gone through, I mean, I definitely happy tears at the end. Of course. Um, just for knowing that I pushed myself to do that. That is amazing. <laughs> wow. I'm really impressed. It, it was beautiful. Um, and not as hard as I thought it would be. I mean, it was definitely challenging uh-huh. and I was sore and couldn't walk, but, um, I think I just kept telling myself, like, I'm running through the Grand Canyon. Uh-huh. Like, this is amazing. Um, and doing this all with a pacemaker. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was a really cool experience. Boy. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Well, that's the note we're going to end on, Sarah. Congratulations. <laughs> that's really fantastic. Thank you. Fantastic. Thank you. Joining us next is Sarah Phelan, a mother, runner, and pharmacist who is celebrating an important milestone today. Eight years ago, at the age of 34, Sarah had open heart surgery to fix an aneurysm. 
like our first Sarah and me. She's a marathon runner. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now you have one daughter, is that correct? I do. She'll be nine in March. Fun age. Yeah, yeah. So what's your running background? Well, I started running when I was three years old. My mom entered me in an all-comers track meet, and I've just been running ever (laughs) since. So I did track and cross country in um, middle school and high school, and then just ran to keep off the calories in college. And then I took up marathon running after college when I had a little bit more time on my hands. So I've done 17 marathons now, a lot of half marathons. Yeah. Wow. Wow. All right. So at age 23, you found out you had congenital heart disease, but it didn't stop you from running a lot of marathons. So, um, but tell us what changed and then led to your surgery from age 23 until you had your surgery. Well, when I first got diagnosed um, with my congenital heart problem, they said to just go ahead and live a normal life, that it shouldn't affect me at all, other than I'd probably need the valve replaced when I was in my 50s or 60s, you know, later in life. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of did my thing. I started running. I fell in love with endurance running. And then um, when I was in my early 30s, when I was running hard workouts, I started having a lot of like heart palpitations and things. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I put it off for a long time, as women do. I don't have time to go get that checked out. Sounds exactly. I feel like what, dealing with that. That's what the other Sarah was saying. Yeah. Yes, I'm sensing a theme. But finally, I was running a race, and the heart palpitations got so bad, I had to stop and walk, which is devastating for someone who's always running for the best time. And mm-hmm. Anyway, so I finally was convinced to go see the cardiologist, and they did ran a bunch of tests, and they found my aneurysm. Mm, mm-hmm. mm. And can you, as much as it makes me queasy, can you give us some <laughs> details about the surgery? Because when you say open heart surgery, that just, I think, sounds so frightening. Yeah, they basically, they cut me open from my neck down to my mid chest and opened my rib cage up and they replaced a big chunk of my aorta um, oh. with like a graft. It kind of looks like a, an accordion kind of thing. But I still have my bad heart valve, which is the congenital problem to start with. Hmm. But they're going to replace that at some point in my life later when it goes bad. Because it was still working fine, so they thought, let's just leave it till hmm. it goes bad. So I'll need a second open heart surgery at some point in my life. Oh, fun. Something to wow. look forward why didn't, to. Why didn't they do it all at once? I mean, yeah. I sort well, of, you know, like when I had C-section, you know, they tied my tubes. Like, you know, so. Uh. <laughs> well, I was so young. When they replaced your heart valve, they don't have a lot of good options and they knew I was going to keep running. They knew I might want to have more children Mm -hmm. and um, there just isn't a good option for that. You either have to be on blood thinners Mm. or you get the heart valve gets so beat up from all the marathon running and stuff. I'd need it replaced again in like five years. So there just wasn't any good options for me really. Uh Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh Mm -hmm. So, and then does the, does marathon running other than that, I mean, it, it only does good for your heart, right? Or, I mean, what does your cardiologist think of all of it? Right. They think I'm crazy, <laughs> for sure. Um, it was funny because right when I had my open heart surgery, I asked my surgeon, I said, has any of your open heart surgery patients ran a marathon before? And he said, oh, yeah, I had one guy that ran a marathon. I was like, well, darn it. I need a new goal. So I asked him if he had anyone that had run the Boston Marathon. He said no. So I said, okay, I'm running it for oh. you. <laughs> so... Right after I opened heart surgery, I ran and qualified for Boston, and then I ran Boston for him. Wow. So oh. you, right after that, like when you say right after that, oh, take us through like, recovery to qualifying. 
so right after my open heart surgery, it was really hard because mm. I'd gone from this very, very fit person to being so debilitated, I couldn't even walk up a hill without having to stop and catch my breath. And so I'd just sit and cry because I just thought, oh my gosh, what have, what have I come to? I'm you know, mm. never going to be normal again. But as my body recovered, I was able to start running again. About six weeks after my surgery, let me start running again. So it was like starting over from scratch, a mile at a time. And then um, my mom died when I was five weeks out from my oh. open heart surgery. Oh. So that was the point when, when running became mental health mm. therapy for me too. Mm -hmm. So not only was I recovering from my body being ill, but then you know mentally recovering from the grief from my mom dying. That's yeah. a lot. So yeah. Yeah. that's really when I started ramping up my running a lot. Mm -hmm. And when I set the goal of running Boston. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So. And now, she, so, and she died from complications of the same congenital. Yeah, she'd had the same heart surgery that I'd had, mm. but she'd had a really bad stroke during hers. So mm. I had to go into mine knowing that she'd had that outcome and hoping that my outcome was going to be oh. different. And I had an 11 year, 11 month old baby too at the time. Oh. So it was like, I was really yeah. anxious going into yes. it. Can you double down on <laughs> yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's going to make me go to sleep? <laughs> oh yeah. They had to give me a lot of medicine. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of get, freaking out. Get the horse tranquilizer for this one, Joe. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Oh yeah. <laughs> so which race did you use to uh, qualify for Boston? I ran the rock and roll Seattle. Oh, yeah. I had family oh. up in the Seattle area. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Way to pick a hilly yeah. marathon to qualify, yeah. though. I know, right? Oh, <laughs> you should have picked an easier one. Wait, so you had your surgery in mid-February, and then you ran it that June? Uh, or no, a following it was the, June? It was the following okay, June. Good. Okay, okay, all right. You're yeah. a Wonder Woman, but not... Yeah, not, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was beginning to yeah. want an infusion from her bloodstream. Right. The Boston Marathon bombing kind of really kind of struck me. Yeah. Because mm. that had happened... And then, um, I don't know, just kind of the whole idea of coming back after that and like the resurrection of, mm -hmm. and the celebration of human spirit and all that kind of resonated with me. And so I was like, ooh, I want to do Boston the year after the bombing. Mm -hmm. So that was my goal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then tell that side story that then because there were so many people coming back from 2013 who had been stopped before the finish line right so then they yeah. let all those the race organizers let all those people in so then the qualifying times dropped so much lower right yeah. and so you didn't make it your your time wasn't quote unquote enough to get you in yeah i right. missed it by i was just seconds like 14 oh, seconds or 12 seconds oh, yeah. or something like oh. that i missed the cutoff i was like oh man i've been through so much <laughs> yeah. for this yeah. and then yeah. i missed it by 12 seconds oh, yeah 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 so <laughs> so then you wrote an essay right that that got you in through I did. power bar yeah yeah uh -huh. i saw this contest and i was like oh man this is perfect for me it was called stronger together uh -huh. i was like oh man i got this right so i wrote an essay and i entered the contest and it was in a uh, social media mm -hmm. thing i had to post it on facebook and people had to vote for me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i ended up winning mm -hmm. wow so i got a vip trip to the boston marathon nice hey. yeah nice was, really cool. was there one winner or were there several winners or you were the winner no there were four winners so okay. i was one of four uh -huh. mm -hmm. yeah that's awesome that's awesome yeah any lingering effects post-surgery or as of now are you what you feel like 100 percent ready to go I feel pretty 100%. I always am going to have to be on the lookout for my heart valve going bad. Mm -hmm. They gave me 10 to 15 years, I think, at the time of my last surgery. 
Mm. So I just really, I'm going to need to pay attention to my body this time around and not put it off if I start. But that's something they can see. I mean, I assume they're testing you and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Yeah. They're not just leaving it up to you to to, (laughs) to raise a red flag. Uh Yeah. I have to go see my cardiologist. I think it's once a year and get the full checkup and all of that. Uh But as far as my running goes, I'm running pretty much stronger than ever. Wow. I feel a lot stronger mentally after going through all that. Mm, mm-hmm. And why do you think that is? I mean, just talk a little bit about that. Um, I guess my body just, my body being able to come back from from so many bad things happening to me that I just have a lot more uh, perseverance. I'm less likely to give up when things get hard. Mm-hmm. Like I know I've been through hard things before, so I can get through this too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. and you runs. seem to have the type of personality where you're able to see that the glass is not half empty, it's half full. I'm generally pretty optimistic, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I call myself retired from marathon running right now, but um, I'm thinking about making a comeback. Why wow. do you call yourself retired from marathon running? Oh, I just gave it up. After I ran the Boston Marathon in 2014, I kind of just wanted to focus on my daughter and my career Mm -hmm. and all my friends and my family spending time with them all kind of became more important to me Mm. than spending all this time training Mm -hmm. um i still run one or two half marathons a year but Mm -hmm. i just kind of gave up on marathon running but my little sister's turning 40 here in like a year and she wants to run a marathon for her 40th birthday so i think i'm gonna make a comeback for that nice that'll be great so talk a little bit about that how was it, you know, you'd run 17 marathons, so that's a lot. You were dedicated to it. I mean, so how did you kind of get to that space that you were okay with one or two half marathons a year and, and you know, cutting back on your mileage, I'm assuming, and, you know, so it's just an intriguing thing to me. Well, part of it is I just didn't have the time to train anymore. Mm-hmm. I do a lot of my running on my lunch break at work. Oh, okay. And so I only have a set amount of time and I can't. I just don't have time for 12-mile runs, 20-mile sure. runs on the weekend anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd rather spend my time with my daughter. and. Right. Yeah, yeah. It all goes so fast. It does. Yeah. She's grown up so fast. Boy. Yeah. You have no idea. <laughs> I'm going to blink and she's going to be in high school. That's yeah, what happens. Now, now Allison gets to see the same thing happening with her grandkids. So, right. Yeah, yeah. So... What advice would you give to a runner who's facing down a daunting surgery or a diagnosis of a heart condition? I think the biggest thing is just when you start having symptoms, just don't dismiss it. Yes. Make sure Mm -hmm. you get them checked out. Um, Even if it's nothing, at least you have the peace of mind. Mm -hmm. And modern medicine really is amazing these days. Mm -hmm. The fact that you can have open heart surgery and come back and do all the things that you were doing before. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And just your body's a lot stronger than you think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, if now after hearing Ellison and I talk about Portland, I think you definitely want to join us here for our October retreat. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Look at that. Even Alex says yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be all, so many of the people from another mother runner that you might know and wonder about. Ellison's going to be leading, as I said, a field trip to Powell city of books. Molly and I are leading a group to the Portland art museum. There's going to be a podcast recording party with Alex. Um, Augie, my French bulldog will make an appearance with my husband, Jack. 
Um, but more importantly than that, we're doing a super scenic Halloween themed race along the Columbia River with great views of a couple mountains. Uh, we'll bring great speakers. It's going to be a ton of fun stuff, great meals. And that is October 23 to 26 here in Portland. To find out more details and to register, go to anothermotherrunner.com, click on the retreats. Oh no, I take it back. It's at motherrunnerstore.com. Click on the retreats tab there. And that's, as I said, where you can find all the details and to register. Again, go to motherrunnerstore.com and click on the retreats tab. Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy miles. Happy miles.